Hello, everyone. Um, welcome, all of you, to the first, very first podcast from the platform of Innovation Valley. Our podcast name is uh, Talks at Innovation Valley. And today we have with us the very amazing guest from uh, Monica Aris, uh, who was working as head of immersive learning at Meta formerly known as, you know, Facebook. So I'm so excited to have you, Monica. So welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Excited for the conversation. Yeah. And uh, we today have amazing list of questions, amazing questions from Monica. And we will be sharing with you all the insights and knowledge that Monica has. And, you know, that I'm following Monica for the last many, many months. And I see that she's so much excited on the immersive learning and she's so excited on the future of education, especially in the metaverse. So Monica, my first question from you, uh, before we move towards the questions, I would like you to introduce yourself, uh, what actually you were doing at Meta and uh, I mean, what basically was your role and why you are so much excited on the metaverse, especially for the learning. <laughs> yeah, so I have been focused on building solutions for learning across almost all the different spectrums um, for most of my career. And so I think, you know, I didn't actually start off in education, but I had to go volunteer in a classroom one day as part of my job way back when. And I saw a need to make learning move and to make it more engaging and more exciting. And so I kind of pursued this career first as an educator, then was able to go to Amazon where I helped create immersive learning labs, and then over to Facebook. And Facebook was building new technology that allowed us to open up pathways that weren't there before. And through augmented and virtual and mixed reality, it added this entire new layer that we could add to learning that I found really intriguing. So as head of immersive learning there, I was trying to build solutions um, across the board that would not only help developers and creators, but also fundamentally transform how we use this technology to increase engagement and retention and presence uh, with other learners. All right. So Monica, um, so great. My first question from you is that, you know, that uh, uh, you, uh, what actually, what thing did, uh, you know, take you to this area? I mean, immersive learning. And how do you see the future of education in the metaverse? Yeah, I mean, I think, so look, education has needed solutions for a very, very long time. And I think it was one of those industries where, we used to go and get the latest and greatest technology. We used to go and feel inspired. And then slowly we didn't quite evolve it at the same pace as technology did. And so as we were trying to understand the value of the metaverse and where the different technologies could really play a role, a lot of surveys were showing that people, I think 40% of people in one of the surveys said, actually, I'm interested in the metaverse because of the value it can bring to learning. To learn. And so when you think about it, if you it feels like a huge jump to suddenly bring people into these immersive environments and these new technologies that not everyone's very comfortable with. But if you look back over the last 40 years or so, 
um, I think it's really just a very natural step in the progression. So when you look at how both technology and education um, have evolved every decade or so, we see this shift. So when I was little, if I was curious about something, I went to the encyclopedia and I was really lucky to get one paragraph and maybe a picture. Um, I loved the picture of Neil Armstrong standing on the moon for the first moon landing. And that was my one portal into that part of history. And I found it fascinating. That was enough for me. And then Web 1 came and suddenly we had articles. They were one directional, but it, it made us recognize that there were ways to get information that weren't just from that paragraph in the encyclopedia or from our teacher at school. And then Web 2 became read, write, create, and suddenly everything was interactive and dynamic and we had access to the world's information wherever we were. And then I think add to that the mobile device, which is probably the most transformative of all. Now, whenever we were curious in the world, we could find that answer in our pocket. And so all of that, when you look at where that next step in progression is, if we look at what immersive technology can add in terms of jumping into an immersive environment as if you're feeling like you're inside the internet or bringing 3D visualizations to you, no matter where you are, um, it's really just kind of that next progression and how we actually have to move into the way that technology is going to help us connect better with each other and the content that we want to access. So whereas before we had a very kind of hybrid approach to learning, I think now we're kind of entering what a lot of people are calling this tribrid approach or multimodal approach where you can seamlessly move between in-person, online, and now simulated experiences. Um, and so it just opens up a new way for us to communicate and connect. Again, it's early days. We're still uncovering all of the places where we see this value, but the areas that we have started to align, uh, we're seeing tremendous improvement. Amazing. So, uh, Monica, you know that uh, the concept of metaverse has been around for decades, but why it is taking, uh, you know, grounds right now? What it is, what actually driving it right now? Why it is, you know, catching hype right now? <laughs> You know, I actually think it's probably a combination of two things. And you're absolutely right. Sci-fi writers started writing about metaverse a long time ago. People have been in this industry for a long time. But I really think it took two big pieces coming together. Um, one was the pandemic. We suddenly entered this global experiment where we had to bring everything online from the way that we learn to the way that we work to the way that we connected with people. And although we quickly realized we can transfer knowledge pretty well online, we can gain access to information, that we were missing this fundamental human need that was unlocking the way that we felt creative or could, you know, build things or just connect with each other. And so I think that was the first time, you know, I used to go do a lot of public speaking. And when I would talk about this new technology for learning, it was usually met with skepticism. People are like, oh, that is so far away. The technology doesn't work yet. Education's too slow a moving industry to do anything. But when we were faced with this massive challenge that we had to solve during the pandemic, I think the world started to say, you know, the solution is building some kind of digital environment where we can bring people together and have a sense of presence and use body language to communicate and pass objects to each other. And it was at that moment that I think people started to recognize the value of what the metaverse could bring and why we needed it um, for all the different things that we were trying to accomplish during the pandemic that we were falling short on. So that shift, I think, helped bring some kind of acceptance and awareness or just understanding of what the metaverse could offer. And I think the second thing that really helped was that, 
you know, the technology took a long time to get to where we are right now. And so it's finally at a place in its progression. And we know we have a lot longer to go where we get to that ultimate end state where technology is seamlessly interacting with our bodies. But um, it's now at a price point that's, that's manageable. And the experience that you get is good. And so I think now to be able to go into some virtual reality experiences and, and play around and understand what it feels like, it's opening up that window a little bit for us to say, okay, it works right now. And I can see where that path is into the future. Whereas before, I don't know that people really understood that. So, I mean, as far as education goes, I think what the value that we have is we've always learned best. I mean, for thousands of years, we learned best in first person spatial experiences. We learned with those around us in the place that we were in the world. Technology slowly moved us into like a, a rectangular period where everything was through a screen on a rectangle and we became third person observers of the story. So it's like we were just kind of watching it happen through our computers or our phones. This technology allows us to jump back to how we fundamentally engage and learn and explore into first person lived experiences. But this time we can do it with anyone in the world and feel like we're together and in any kind of environment that we want to create. So it's very, very early days, but we're seeing some incredible numbers. Uh, there's a study by the National Laboratory that said we remember about 5% of what we hear in lecture style learning, which is how most education is today. 10% of what we read and 75% of what we experience in VR. And so that alone starts to make you recognize that that's a significant number. It doesn't necessarily mean for every experience you go into, but where are the places that we can tap into that really allow learners to have that enormous improvement in performance um, in a way that's a lot more engaging and that connects to them. So lots of different use cases that we've explored. Um, it's amazing, during the pandemic, we sent out headsets to a group of graduate students because they'd never met each other and they were on Zoom and something was missing. And so we sent the headsets out and they didn't actually go into any kind of experiences right away, they found places to meet where they could feel present with each other and have what we call social co-presence. Um, and the teacher started to report back increased engagement, increased attention, increased attendance, and all these little things started to unlock possibilities that um, we knew we were onto something, we just had to really dive deeper. So now they're digital twins of universities and people go in for live instruction and the educators and avatar and the students are all avatars, but they can seamlessly move between the lecture hall and the lab and field trips that they wanna take vocational training is incredibly powerful. If you want to learn how to do plumbing or medical training, training in heights, all these things uh, are, are best suited in an environment where you can have trial and error. You can practice the machinery. You can take things apart, do things that would otherwise be you know, dangerous or expensive or hard to have access to, especially when you're learning remotely. Super cool. Yeah. But Monica, you know that every innovation every particularly technology innovation has pros and cons so it is sad that uh, technology innovation could also be a double-edged sword so how do you think this like uh, when this technology you know is getting uh, new innovations are coming and the technology is are, are emerging so how do you see the pros and cons how we will be you know it will be beneficial or how do you see this? I mean, that is, it's something we always have to keep in mind. There are always ways to use anything for bad, right? Especially when it comes to technology. And I think 
it's important always for us to look at both sides and to push towards holding ourselves accountable for every single step. So yes, we have seen from the last few generations of, of technology and evolution and internet and social media, privacy, data, um, those are all things that we really do have to be mindful of, making sure that the right policies are in place, um, right regulations are in place. Um, but we also have to also, you know, make sure that we're not leaving anyone behind when it comes to access and that, you know, looking at headset costs and the trust of the providers that are creating content for this. And so there are levels across all of it from hardware to data collection to content that's being distributed to the psychological effects it might have on people, especially our younger users. These are all things that need a lot of research and a lot of constant awareness. But I also want to encourage everyone to think about um, as we do look and criticize the bad, that there are also opportunities for good that maybe people don't see. And so my inbox is flooded with people asking about ChatGPT and people saying, oh my gosh, it's going to cause plagiarism. It's going to make everyone cheat and no one's going to be able to read anymore or write, right? And it's like, well, okay. So yes, it's disrupting how we currently see things. But I also am really excited about the opportunity it does bring, right? It's going to raise the foundation at which we're starting right now for, for learning. And if we're not using our class time to necessarily put in facts about something that's already happened and we're reading about, then suddenly we get to use that time for higher order thinking, for discussion, for debate. And so, you know, I equate it to when my dad was little, he had a slide rule to calculate math and he spent the entire class trying to find the answer. And I got to school and I could push a button on a calculator to get the same answer. And we could use the rest of the class to solve real world applications with whatever it is we were learning. And so I think ChatGPT is almost like the calculator of language um, and that we should not necessarily be afraid that it's going to you know, change the way we currently have our structure and operations in the classroom. But embrace it and move forward with it and say, well, this is innovation in action. This is how it happens. And so it is messy and it's ugly and it disrupts and breaks a lot of things that we have to move with. But I think those that are willing to embrace and see around the corner and understand the opportunity ahead are the ones that are going to be able to take this and use it for good so that we can eventually get to be smarter humans and better thinkers. Um, there are parts of our brains we haven't unlocked yet because education has sort of had this, this glass ceiling based on the technology and where it's allowed us to get. So there's always the good and the bad. And I embrace people to not focus too much on one or the other, because I think we have to bring them both in parallel to make sure we're being responsible, but also innovative. Oh, Monica, amazing example to tell about ChatGPT, calculator of language. I really like this example. So, uh, Monica, you know that there is a lot of excitement. I see a lot of uh, buzzing around the metaverse. When, what do, I mean, what you are excited the most on the metaverse? How do you see your excitement in the metaverse? Why you are so much excited? I mean, I think for me, again, in the learning space, um, you know, what our job is to create better future for the next few generations or to keep people who are currently in jobs growing, to keep people excited and to keep them curious and to find new ways to do that. And this is something that is a new way for increased visualization and interaction. It's going to bring down walls between homes and schools and museums in ways that we couldn't before. Um, and it also allows us to connect and just like go back to that feeling of connecting with each other. And we always learn better together. But I think what's really exciting is um, it's going to take all of us. 
like the way that we build solutions for this industry now isn't just by vertical. It's like whatever we solve for one is actually going to help all of them. So if we solve pieces for education, we know it's going to then become part of the toolbox for the future of work, future of entertainment, future of connection. And so it's just this whole new playground um, with new technology that is allowing us to go one step further than we ever have. But again, I think I'm excited too, because there is no playbook, right? We're the ones laying the foundation for future generations. We're the ones who have to be brave and take those first few steps in. Um, and so I think that bravery and trial and error are all things that um, excite me that we are the, the people who get to do that and build it. And the hope is that four or five generations from now, it still has opened up pathways that are very valuable. Monica, when we see the connectivity and technological infrastructure of the world right now, especially when we see the developing countries, uh, do you think the world is really ready to learn in the metaverse? Honestly, no, not yet. Um, I think we don't have all of the pieces ready for a complete and thriving ecosystem. You know, we're still trying to figure out hardware. Uh, there are a lot more to the market now, but they're not perfect and they're not quite where we want to be and they're not quite at the right price point. We have a massive content problem, especially in learning. If you go and you try to find educational apps, there's some really great ones, but there aren't a lot of them. And so is it worth the investment uh, of headsets if, if you're not gonna be able to use them at a certain cadence throughout your learning experience? Um, we still have you know, glitches and problems with enterprise solutions so that we can learn at scale with a lot of different people experiencing the same kind of experiences um, and research is still lacking. It's very new. And so although we can take research from the past on some of these topics, doesn't really help us move into the future with something that's brand new. And so the research has to be happening almost in the moment as we move through it. And so I think, you know, all these things are, are very big challenges that we need to overcome and be mindful of. But as we build forward, we have to do so kind of with that responsibility of, of excitement for innovation, but also are we making sure it's accessible? And when it comes to learning, this means we have to improve the internet infrastructure and our access to it. Um, this is still a problem in many, many places around the globe. And then of course, providing you know, affordable devices and software. And there's an interesting play that we've seen in all software and, and hardware evolution of the first ones out are often fairly costly. And then we figure out ways to bring down the price. And we're still in that, that messy spot, I think when it comes to metaverse technologies. And then investing in digital literacy is something else, right? Um, and we just want to make sure that all students have the skills to actually participate in the metaverse and that we're not leaving people out. And so um, I think one, one way to help us sort of in the first few steps is think about having multiple levels of access to content. So if we, you know, if you have a headset and your education institution has headsets, great, you can access the metaverse through virtual reality. But if you don't, we as developers and creators have to make sure that there's always an augmented reality accompanying version. It won't be fully immersive, but there'll be things that you can still pop into your desk or experience in 3D. So that can be done through a mobile device. And, and that is more accessible than a headset right now. So if we can make sure we're stringing through pieces that can still be experienced, they can still be part of the conversation. And if you don't have that, if you have a, a computer or a tablet of some sort and you can at least see it in the 2D model, and then I think we're making sure that from 2D to 3D, we've covered what we can to not leave people out. Um, and I think, you know, content matters too. We're, we're, I don't want to overlook that piece and the importance, but 
creating accessible metaverse environments is, is very important. Um, and then developing content and curriculum that's inclusive and diverse so that everyone who steps into it feels welcome and included. And that's something that we need to do now from the very beginning to make sure that we are figuring out what that means and making that a standard across everything we build in the future. So um, yeah, I think we wanna make sure that we're only adding value and, um, and using it when it's relevant. And this is another important thing because some people forget this, but like if you can go to the Eiffel Tower and go to the top and have a field trip and talk about that, great, you should go to the Eiffel Tower. But if you can't, going there in VR, it's like a really next second option um, that still gives you that same feeling of being way up at the top, still seeing what's around you and still being able to discuss that. So using it really when you can't actually get to these experiences is important, but not in the place of things you could already do physically in real life or they're better done live. Cool. But Monica, you know, when we talk on the innovation, everybody does not has, you know, the innovative mindset. And, you know, this is my personal experience. Maybe you don't agree, but what I think in any organization or in general society, people hate innovators. Why? Because they think out of the box. Now, my question is, you know, whenever there is some technological innovation, People take it as threat as you gave the example of chat GPT. People are saying this, uh, there will be this problem with chat GPT. Uh, the students will be, you know, doing cheating, etc. So my question is that do you see the emerging technologies as a threat to the teachers and traditional, uh, you know, on-campus learning model and on-campus teaching model? Or do you think... Uh, it will add value to the existing eco uh, education ecosystem. And sometimes I'll also cover the question that many teachers say, or many people say, technology will replace the teacher, chat GPT will replace the teacher, AI will replace the teacher, AI will take over. So <laughs> these are the, you know, uh, fear points. Yep. No, I, and I hear you. Yes, people get very scared of innovation. It changes the rules. It changes the way that we have measured success or that people have understood how to operate within a system. I don't think technology will ever replace the role of the, the teacher. And if you've ever been at the receiving end of a very passionate, creative educator, you know how completely life-changing that is. I mean, from that moment you had that teacher for the rest of your life, you carry whatever it is that they unlocked inside you with you. And I don't think any technology could ever replace that. And so, you know, educators come into the profession wanting to do that for every student. It becomes challenging when they have a lot of content to cover. There's a lot of red tape. You're looking at these boring textbooks. Um, and they lose some of that, that autonomy to deliver the lessons that I think they originally wanted to do, that unlock that curiosity, that, that make a student an independent thinker, that make them a lifelong learner. So I see this technology as changing the way that education is delivered, right? I think it can enhance the way that we teach. We can add that layer that wasn't there before. So in any lesson, a teacher can stop and say, you know what? Let's just go there. Let's just hop in the headset and shrink down into something microscopic and tour the human body so we can have a much richer discussion and go deeper than this one picture in the textbook is going to show us. 
none of us could ever get to the moon, but you know what, let's put our headset on and let's go up there and let's get the same perspective of the astronauts and see just how far away the earth looks when you're up there and how half the earth is lit up and where's the sun. And you can have these really rich discussions because you get to actually feel like it. I don't know if anyone's read, you know, the Miss Frizzle's Magic School Bus um, or even that idea of you know, in the movie Mary Poppins where you can jump inside the painting and suddenly be there. This technology allows teachers to have those tools when and if it's relevant. And it won't be relevant all the time, but when they need it, the goal is for students and educators and technology to seamlessly work together so that they can leverage the best possible learning environment and experience when they need it and have it at their fingertips. So I definitely don't think this will replace the teacher. I think it's just gonna make them even better at their craft and make students even more excited and engaged in the classroom. These are things that both sides are craving right now. And uh, you know, a lot of people say the same thing. It's like, oh, well now we can learn off campus. Um, but if you ask most people who do online learning, it's missing something. It's not quite as good as being there in person. And so I think, um, allowing the technology to sort of bring down those barriers and make the remote learners and the, the in-class learners feel more connected and present with each other is a huge advantage that wasn't necessarily there before. So, Monica, but Monica, here the question is how we can make it sure, how we can make sure to the teachers and how we can win the trust of the teachers that technology will never replace them. How can we encourage them? I think it's by helping them integrate it. It's making them see, uh, you know, all right, here's a lesson you used to teach this way, right? And here's a lesson that you're still the guide of the conversation, right? You can go in and have a virtual reality experience. You can pop open something 3D on your desk and interact with it. But then it's the discussion afterwards that becomes really rich. And that's something that the teacher still has to facilitate that, right? They still have to be the ones to connect the students and the learners to the experiences that they just had. That piece is integral to learning. Otherwise, you can seamlessly go through an experience and not necessarily get a lot out of it. It's, it's hearing the different opinions and the ways that it changes the way people think. That, I think, is the real value of education. And that now is something that the educator can spend a lot more time focused on and doing. So I think it is a matter of them. Yes, it, the beginning is a little bit difficult. You do, you are, we are asking people to add something to their current craft and we're not changing it all. We're not suddenly asking everyone to be in a headset all the time and learning in a headset or using AR everywhere. Not at all. You can still teach the way you always have, but when it makes sense and if the content's available, if you bring it into the classroom and try it, I think they'll all start to understand where that value is. And our job on the other side is to make sure that that integration is easy, that they're not struggling with setting up hardware, that things aren't breaking, that they're not wasting valuable class time on the mechanics of things or the thrash that it might cause. But that, like I said, the goal is for technology to seamlessly be integrated within how we connect and communicate. And so that is the ultimate goal. But the caveat I often use with educators right now is we're in pilot phase. We love the educators who are excited about moving into this space and who are willing to break the mold of their common teaching and add it, but they become partners. They become someone that, you know, I say this isn't perfect yet and there's still things that are going to break and there's still things that don't work, but 
work with us. We need you to be part of this process moving forward. And so the future is going to take a whole lot of different you know, industries coming together. It's the creators, the developers, the educators, um, the tech companies. It's, it's everyone now trying to solve these problems so that they work across the board. And educators need to have a very prominent seat in that process. Right. So, Monica, when we talk on the learning models, you know that since online learning is already happening since the COVID happened, there is a lot of online learning everywhere. But when we talk of the metaverse, what do you think? What will be the best learning model? I mean, just self-paced online, just, you know, or do you think that hybrid model will be the best model? How do you see the learning model in the metaverse? I mean, for me personally, it's definitely in-person or hybrid. In fact, over the last few months, I signed up for two different courses. One was live in person and the other one was fully remote because I'd actually never taken a fully online course. And so I was like, I should probably try this, see what it's like. Um, and, you know, the most interesting observation, and this is just my own anecdote. So other people have different experiences. But the one that was fully online, I found I really was just doing the graded assignments because not everything was graded. Sometimes you could watch videos or, you know, like read an article. I found I was going right to the graded assignment and turning it in and spending my time there and just checking the box. I got the I got the grade. I got the certification. Great. But I, I don't feel that connected to it. It just it happened. It's like checking a box off. But the one that was in person, um, it just like uh, it lit something up inside me, right? It was like you were there with other people. The professor's energy came into you. You got to hear distinct voices and thoughts that were contributing to the conversation. And it gave me an energy that made me want to go tell other people about it afterwards. And I think, you know, humans have this innate social connection to share learnings that they've had. And when I was present with people learning, I did want to tell other people and, and pass that on. And when I think about that particular class and what we learned, part of it, the memory comes back as like an energy, right? It's like a fun endorphin rush of like, oh yeah, I remember that fun conversation or the thing that we learned or what I want to carry with me. And so those that sort of A-B experiment that I did just for myself made me realize the dangers of fully online learning not everyone can get physically to a class. And so I think what this technology does is really helps build a much stronger hybrid model, where if you are in virtual reality for some lectures and you're all there live as avatars, the most remarkable thing happens in VR and your brain actually gets tricked into thinking that you're there, um, which is really unusual. Anyone who's ever watched, there's a plank experience that if you ever watched anyone do it, there's a plank across two skyscrapers and your job in virtual reality is just to walk across the plank. And so people know they're in a headset, they know they're safe in their room and their brain is telling them they're going to die. And so they won't walk across this plank. And it's like, how come our brains can't override that? That's such a strange thing. But when you are in these environments, you, you know, you feel like you're there. And when you take the headset off, you feel like you traveled somewhere. So allowing remote learners to at least connect into the classroom and the professor and having those experiences, again, not as good as fully live and present, but it still allows you to have what we love about online learning, which is I'm at my house, I don't have to travel, I don't have to pay for room and board, all those advantages um, that make sense, although falling short on just Zoom, I think now have the opportunity to bring back some of those connections that we actually really need 
for learning. And all of those things are what spark motivation and engagement and a sense of belonging. So I wanna make sure that this technology is used to help the remote learners do just that in, in that hybrid setting. Um, but of course, recognizing too, that even if you're all on campus, this technology still adds a huge amount of value to the in-person experience too. Like I said, you can do, um, you know, you can practice if you're in a vocational school and you want to learn plumbing, like it's, it's better to put the headset on and, and take apart the walls and see where all the pipes are. You can't always do that in real life very easily for 30 different students um, or doing things that are otherwise impossible or too expensive or, or too far away to travel. So I think there's value both on-premise campus learning and also remote, but it especially solves a need for the hybrids, uh, you know, scenario that wasn't there before. Yeah, my personal preference is there has to be some level of connection for learning to be meaningful. Right, agree. But you know, Monica, everything is not for everybody in every age. When we talk learning in the metaverse, what do you think? For what age learning in the metaverse is the best? And how do you see this thing for the children? I think eventually we'll find a way to bring it to everyone, but it's still really early and we have a lot of research to do, right? So I think augmented reality, which we can do through a mobile device and you can pop things up on your desk or in your space, um, that works across the board for all ages and there's value to all of it, right? And so I have seen really young kids pop open the Mars Rover on their desk and, and maneuver it and watch it kind of crawl around and, and that's super fun. And so. That I think is sort of that first entryway. But when it comes to younger kids, I mean, we've seen really little kids, they don't distinguish between what they saw in virtual reality and whether or not it was real. And so um, they'll go swim with dolphins in VR. And then that night when they're going to bed, they're like, oh, mom, do you remember when we were swimming with dolphins? And like, that's that could be a very dangerous thing. And so I think until we actually understand how it does impact um, you know, just the psychological behavior of, of children and, and what it's doing. Um, I'd be very worried about making sure, you know, integrating that into kind of a mainstream approach. So I think that area needs to be studied. I think we're seeing tremendous success with the university age students right now. They um, are able to use it. Uh, most of them have their own devices, so it can be more of a one-to-one -one model versus like coming in with the cart and they're using it for specialized training, whether it's surgical training or whatever it is they're trying to perfect in their craft for learning. But then they're also using it outside of their university classes for socializing and for travel and for games and all the other things that they want to do. And so that subset, if we really think about focusing there first, then we start to move it down to high school because they want to be prepared for what they need for college. And they start to adopt that technology once it's ready for, you know, at scale. Like I said, it's not quite ready for at scale yet in, in the, the K-12 space. Um, but then in university, when they become fluent and proficient, it becomes what they then bring with them to the future of work and, and the future of communication. And so I think that's sort of the ripe age to begin making sure that it works there and it inevitably goes in both directions. But I would be very um, worried about just sort of like putting it into younger students' classrooms until we really understand more. Um, and, you know, I think it's funny when we look at the capabilities way back when, when we were first making the first experiences for VR, um, we knew that exploration would work. We were recreating things like Anne Frank House and bringing people to space. And, and that was great, but we 
uncovered a surprise that none of us were expecting, which is that empathy generation in VR is really, really powerful. You can feel like you're walking in someone else's shoes. And that was like sort of this, this thing that we stumbled into. And so the question has always been since then, well, what else can it unlock that we haven't really thought about yet? And so now we have the ability to bring people together called social co-presence, which we didn't have before. It was just a single experience. And every meeting it was like, wait, but how do we actually bring more people together into the same environment? Usually you want to share the experience or talk to someone um, and not just have to keep passing the headset around all the time. Now that we can do that, again, we can replicate the way that we know our brains will work in real life. We can recreate fear. We can recreate curiosity. Like I said, that plank experience, we know how people are going to feel because we've done that in real life. But just as the very first movies were just recordings of plays, like I think what we're doing is that phase right now. We're, we're emulating what we know in real life, but VR has the power to do so much more. And so as we think about like what more can we do and how does that help build connections in our brains, uh, whether we use it for therapy to have cognitive behavioral therapy exercises and rewire our brains or whether we use it for perspective making. Um, I was just at a, a talk when we were talking about the example of what if you could sit next to your 90 year old self on a rocking chair and have them tell you that your life is going to be okay and give you advice. Or if you're having conflict resolution with someone and you could speak to them as their five-year-old self and start to recognize that we all started more or less in the same place and life's paths sort of did things, but those are things we can't do in real life, but VR allows us to do that. And so I think there's going to be a whole area now that starts to emerge of um, how do we use this for good? It can, again, can be used for bad, but how do we actually leverage that and help? Um, how do we use it for students who otherwise aren't served in traditional classrooms, right? A lot of times when students have auditory or visual disorders, we bring them out of the classroom. And it's better if we can find a way to use this technology to keep them learning with their peers and course correct what they need visually or through, um, you know, what they're, what they're hearing. Students who need less stimulation, can we help lower the vibrancy of the environment that they're in? Can we help stream out what they need to so that they can focus better? Um, can we use it as a way to help students who just really need a break to do a little meditation? Again, all these things that are now possible, but figuring out how we help um, use it to bring all students to the level where they need to be and make sure that that classroom is is valid for everyone. Uh, Monica, the last question of this podcast. But before I ask you the question, let me tell you the background of this question. I have a friend who is uh, in Denmark and with a very good university. He is a scientist, a researcher, and also doing research on virtual reality-based education and you know immersive technology-based education. So one day we were discussing on the use of immersive technologies and especially the VR headset. So he said, I experienced to use VR headset, but I started the headache and uh, you know. So I would like to ask that, what, how was your experience? When did you use the VR headset for anything, for learning or some experience, how was your how was your experience, and how were the experience of other people who shared their feedback with you? Yep. So same thing. I, I've heard that my very first experience was uh, long enough ago that it was Gear VR, and you put a phone on your face, and the thing would overheat. There was no remote control. You had to control everything on this little side panel and it made everyone sick and dizzy. Like it was terrible. 
But for me, I was like, it doesn't matter. This is just the rough phase that we're in. I know we're going to get past this. We're going to figure it out. Um, I had one experience where it, it did start to make me feel sick because we were weightless. And so you've got to float through space and my, you know, it's sort of that brain disconnect. And um, we did go back to the developers. We're like, this is making everyone sick. We've got to figure this out. And we slowly started to figure out the tips and the tricks of how to not make people feel insecure or sick or nauseous in there. But man, once you get nauseous in virtual reality, it lasts for a very long time. And it is a terrible experience. So none of us want that to happen. And again, we are in this progression of making the technology better, making the fidelity of the experiences better, um, figuring out the little tips and tricks that you can, like standing on something if you're floating up in space so you can't just see straight down helps. Um, moving cameras just a tiny bit forward so you know where to look first before you start moving. There are all these little things that we're slowly uncovering as um, ways to help people stay stable and feel stable in there. But it's still an issue and everyone reacts differently to it. And so now I know enough that as soon as I start to feel that I actually stop, I just take the headset off, I recoup, I either don't go back into that app or I do it in smaller pieces. Um, and I think that's something we have to solve for. The idea is to eventually get it out of a big cumbersome headset, right? I think nobody likes to be blocked in. Nobody likes to have all of that weight on their face and, and not know what's going on. If we can somehow start to move this into um, you know, the next iteration is glasses, hopefully. It's very hard to put all of that hardware into a socially acceptable pair of glasses. So as you've seen, a lot of companies are struggling with that point, but being able to kind of either choose if you go fully virtual or if you have just regular glasses and some augmented layers on top of the world in front of you. Um, and then the end goal is eventually through contacts, which is going to take much longer. And so where we're at right now is not meant to be the end state. It's part of the process of how we learn the technology, the development of it, and how to slowly get it into smaller, lighter form factors um, where people aren't gonna be sick but are comfortable wearing it for more hours. For me, it's not even just being sick. The headset itself, I find heavy, right? So after like 20 minutes, it starts to hurt my face. And, and a lot of people say that too. And so, um, it's, it's kind of making sure, yes, the proof of concept is there. Being fully immersed in an environment is, is amazing. But all these other little things we keep tweaking, we keep working on, we keep reinventing until we eventually get to a place where the majority of people, we hope, won't feel sick and they'll feel comfortable in whatever hardware we have to keep them there. Monica, trust me, this was super amazing, super insightful and really, you know, knowledgeable whatever you shared was really really valued and i i'm sure that this podcast will make a lot of people exciting and you know it will benefit in terms of what actually uh, how learning in the metaverse could take the learning and teaching to the next level thank you so much for your time for today's podcast and uh, hope to do uh, again one episode someday some month i don't know but hope to have one more with you absolutely uh, we should come back every year and see if any of these predictions are actually true or, or how the landscapes change it's going to things are going to move very quickly and again we can either embrace it and move with it and think how lucky are the future learners to be able to have us in this moment to shape it and make sure that we we go to that next level um, versus stagnating and, and getting too fearful of it. So like I said, I'm excited because this is going to take all of us. And I think it's a, a really pivotal moment in education. All right. Thank you, Monica. Thank you. Have a great time. Thank, Thank you. you for your time for today's podcast. All right. Bye.
Bye-bye.